0: Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> hey, I'm a sanguine. I like it when people talk to me. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, you had at least three sausages, some of you boys today. Some more. <laughs> I, I actually have to put an extra packet of sausages on just because of three boys <laughs> and a couple of little girls. No. <laughs> but uh, it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you for coming. A lot of you today have probably come because you're here to celebrate with the boys, and, uh, and I know the families will be so happy that, you, uh, that you're here. As the girls said at the beginning, please stay. Um, over there, at, when we do big camp, you'll understand over at Watson Park, they've actually uh, cooked some delicious lasagnas for us today, and um, I don't need to take two huge trays like this home. So let's make sure we uh, hang around. You're most welcome to. Today, I want to talk about something that's, that's been wrapping around my head for a few years since I went to the GLS uh, Summit down at Mount Gravatt. Uh, yeah, Mount Gravatt a few years ago at the Baptist Church. And it, and it is a concept tent. And, it, and, and when I heard the presenter present on it the first time, it, it did something not only in my mind, but it actually challenged me And it also made me aware of why I was so driven in some areas of life. Being wholly discontent doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be discontented with everything. This is actually something different than just being, I am upset, I am sick of this. This is actually something that God puts within you. And you can't just stand back and go, yeah, I can accept that. You can't. So today I want to look at a young man who took on one of the biggest giants this world has ever seen and won. Why? Because he had a holy discontent for what was coming out of that giant's mouth. Before we open the scriptures, let's pray together. We're going to spend some time in 1 Samuel today. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that we can be here today. Uh, We also thank you for the challenges that you put not only into our lives, into our heads, but into our hearts. And these are things that are more than just motivating factors. These are things that drive us. And Lord, today, I pray that this will open up in some of us, open up into our minds, things that, that can drive us to do better things for you on planet Earth. Be with me and may these words be yours. Amen. What motivates you to pay the sacrificial price of whether it is leadership within your home? Often, it is this word we call holy discontent. When you're stoked about something that you know is deeply important to God, but it is nowhere on the radar with people you lead, this can often lead to deep frustration or even devastating disillusionment with the church. Today, I want to show another possibility. Allow God to use this firestorm of frustration to enlist you in His work of helping to fix a broken world. My holy discontent began at age 16. At age 16, I went to an Adventist, a Christian school down at Avondale in Newcastle. And I watched lots of my mates making commitments to God but it didn't make any sense to me. It seemed too difficult and, to be honest, not real, not a priority in my life. But at age 18, I constantly had people influencing me, influencing me for good. My parents and my grandparents, my youth leader, my school chaplain, teachers at school, and even some of my mates, these so-called born agains Some of them were Adventists, some of them were Pentecostal, some of them were Baptists, but their influence on me actually started to rob off, and I thought to myself, I want more. In fact, God requires more in my life. And I looked around at the people who'd invested into me, and I thought, you know what, that's the type of person that I want to become not only become, it is the type of person that I wish to be. That holy discontent that came upon me was not something that was just a whim. It was something that God actually put into me and it said, the thing that will make you the happiest, the thing that will actually allow you to be the person that I want you to be, is that holy discontentment. What is that holy discontent? My holy discontent is when young people aren't seen for the potential they have, when young people aren't given the opportunity to know Jesus. So for the last 30 years, at 18, new Christian, just out of school, I became a youth leader in my local church. It's a bit silly um, because I had no idea what I was doing. But the reality was, during that period of time, I looked after a youth group about the size of the congregation. We had here; it was a big church, Um, lots of young people, and I really had no idea what I was doing. Sort of, (laughs) just sort of making it up, I think. But throughout that year and for the next thirty years, what drives me in ministry and in life is to make sure that young people get the same opportunities I had to get to know Jesus. That is my holy discontent. That is the thing that not only motivates me, it's more the motivation. It's not a fad. It's something that actually drives you innately within. It actually changes career paths. It actually changes the way that you think about things and prioritise. It actually becomes the thing that is the arrow that points you north. Jesus is the director of that entire holy discontent. But I want to tell you, each one of us can be given a different holy discontent. Just because that's my experience doesn't mean it has to be yours. The direction and the needle that you may have could be very, very different. But I want to say here today, if you allow God... To not use the frustrations to become disillusionments, but to actually use those frustrations to become absolute driving forces in your life. You too can become like the Bible hero that we're going to look at today. I'd invite you to turn with me to the Have your Bible? Grab it. If you have your phone, (laughs) as long as you're not checking Facebook or something, Uh, you too can grab it. And we're gonna have a look at First Samuel chapter seventeen. It would be great to read the whole passage. Um, but we don't have time, the lasagnas will, will overcook. But you know what? Sometimes ordinary people have to face extraordinary challenges in life. Situations that seem impossible to overcome in order to find inspiration for moments like these. And today, I want to tell you a very familiar story to some. Perhaps it's a new story to others, but it's an incredible story about the little guy having victory over the big guy. First Ch- Samuel chapter 17 and verses 1 to 3, it sets the scene. The Bible tells us, "...now the Philistines gathered their armies." Now, if you don't know who the Philistines are, these were the nemesis or the enemy of the Israelite people. Every time it came time for the season of battle, we hear about the Philistines. The Philistines would come into the Israeli territory and they liked to not only kill, destroy, rob, uh, they were a pain in the neck. And here we have it again. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. We gathered at Sosha which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Socha and Azekah in Ephesus, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the Valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and the Israelites stood on a mountain on the other with a valley between them. There is no doubting that in life we too have arch enemies. It could be different habits that we have in our lives, it could be being out of balance in our work scheduling, it could be just our health, it could be our finances, there are so many enemies that we face in our modern society. But in this battle on one side are the Philistines and on the other are the Israelites. During a period of peace, these guys would be at home and farming and doing their normal things. But during this season of battle, they would arrive on cue and ready to go. The Philistines on many occasions were defeated by the Israelis. Now, the interesting thing with the Israelites is when their connection with God was strong. This is interesting. When their connection with God was strong, God gave them the victory notice the difference, not the best spears and the best swords and the most connected to God, God turned up and God's people had the victory. Now Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul was a man of stature. They estimate that he was about seven feet tall. He was anointed and many of his initial military campaigns were aimed in pushing back the Philistines into their own territory. When he succeeded, there would be peace. The period of peace did not long last very long because the problem with our friend King Saul is that he was a man who lost sight of his God. He lost sight of his leadership. He lost sight of his potential. And when that would happen, the Philistines would start to make inroads into the Israelites' territory over and over again. Now, during this time of the battle, the Philistines pulled out a new weapon. And we're about to learn about him. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4-7, to, four to seven, we, we learn about the champion. A fearsome weapon against no mighty warrior could take on. And in verse 4... And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs, bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Let me tell you about this man. He was 10 feet tall. He was just over three meters in height. He weighed, now this is old school, 400 pounds, but if you're in a he weighed 180 kilos of muscle. He carried a 60 kilo spear, which was 12 feet long, was a piece of bronze which weighed seven kilos. And he was so big... And so awesome that another man would actually carry his shield as he went into battle. This guy was a tank. He was a seriously big man. This was the Philistines' secret weapon. They unveiled it on the battle in either army. This giant made the Philistines arrogant. I want you to get this right, this giant made the Philistine army arrogant but on the other side of things it made the Israeli army terrified. The challenge went forth in chapter 17 verses 8 to 11, I believe that most of us are familiar with the idea of psychological warfare. people play this at school a little bit, Uh, tricks and ideas used to discourage or confuse the enemy. This type of approach is nothing new. Armies were using it thousands of years ago, and the Bible records a prime example of it right here. Verse 8, let's have a look at what he did. Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel, and he said to them, "'Why have you come out to line up for battle? "'Am I not a Philistine?' And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10. The Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Each day, Goliath stood 10 feet tall, the man who weighed 180 kilos, the man who had a 12-foot spear, the man who needed someone else just to carry his shield, stood there and he arrogantly challenged the Israelites to send one man to come and fight against him. Each day, Goliath, the massive Philistine, champion would come out and challenge the Israelites. Would anyone come and fight him? Friends, he did it for 40 days. Now, just so you understand, Jewish people, when they speak about you know, the rain, 40 days and 40 nights, and they talk about the word 40, numbers for the Jewish people are incredibly important. The number 40 always, isn't always significant of 40 days. It usually means many, many days. A lot of days. People weren't counting. Many, many days he came out. Each day he challenged them, they became more and more terrified. This secret weapon was working. Because Saul, who stood seven feet tall, the king of Israel... If he had allowed God into his heart to give him the holy discontent, Saul would have gone out there. He didn't even need his armour. He could have just taken his, like, his little sword if he'd wanted to, and he would have walked out that Philistine giant and killed him. But Saul was a wimp. Saul was a man who was not connected to his God. Saul was a man that was connected to occasionally following God, and then for the rest of his life being directed away from God. And in his wimpishness, Saul looks around for someone else to do his job. And as a leader, it was his job. He should have been so, and I I can't use the words, (laughs) but he should have been so annoyed about this abusive Philistine giant that he could have said, I don't even need armour, I don't need nothing. Bring that guy to me now. He should have stomped down onto that battlefield, and everyone, his soldiers included, who were afraid and terrified, should have seen their man, King Saul, stand up and slay that giant. Yeah, he would have been three foot short, it wouldn't have made any difference, but he didn't. He didn't. It's so sad that he didn't. In verses 12 to 24, which we don't have time to read all of them now, the writer introduces a new character into the, into the scene as the story shifts gears. David is the youngest of eight sons. He wasn't permitted to go to battle. He was too young. He had to stay home to take care of his father's sheep. As the youngest, his father used David as a messenger boy to bring food and get information from his sons who were at the front lines. David was just a mere teenager. At this, David's job was that he was a shepherd boy. He was a simple shepherd boy, not aware of the great challenger that was there coming out each day to use his mindful arrows against the Israeli people. He goes on an errand to the front line and it is there that David finds His holy discontent. It is in that story where the challenge is on. And this is where it often happens that holy discontent is when life seems to be throwing us curveballs that God can allow us to actually find the greatest direction change for our lives. Remember, it's more than motivation, it is drive. It is the thing that drives you, not for a day or two, but for life. And this young shepherd boy comes as a shepherd boy to do his dad's job. Find out what's going on, take the other boys some food. And all of a sudden, he is confronted with what the entire Israel army had been facing for the last 40 days. This big giant. Friends, the first step in this transformation is number one, he hears and accepts the challenge. Friends, don't get me wrong. There are challenges that we face are real tough. We can choose to allow them to beat us or we can choose to allow them to direct us. Let's see what David does. He hears Samuel 17. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that this man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter. And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the man who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he shall defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard what, when he had spoken to the man, and Eliab's anger aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of heart. If you've come down to see the battle. David said, what have I done? Turned from him towards another and he said the same thing and these people answered him as the first ones. By now, this army was visibly terrified. Visibly terrified. But it took a stranger to the battle, a teenage boy, a shepherd, to actually notice what was going on. Because it was this teenage boy that came down And he's talking to the man and he's saying, what is going to happen? This guy defies the living God. How dare he? And yet, all Saul could do is say, hey, I'll exempt you from some taxes. I'll give you some money. In fact, you can marry my daughter. Do you think David was really motivated by that stuff? That was no treasure for him. The treasure was simply the fact that this man defiled the living God. He defiled the living God. By now, the hour of this sort of torment, the Philistine army would just come across to a very unmotivated group of Israeli soldiers and have their way. David, however, hears and accepts the challenge. He doesn't just hear the words of the giant, he's able to see exactly what the problem is. Despite his youth and inexperience of warfare, he recognises that the insult isn't only directed against the army or the king or the nation of Israel, but the insult is directed towards the living God. And if you want holy discontent, if you want truly holy discontent, I would never allow anyone to come into my home and harm my family. That's holy discontent. You guys know what I'm talking about. If you're a real man, there's no way you'd allow that to happen. If you're a big brother, there's no way you that's holy discontent. It's more than just fury. It's actually something that is worth living for. It's what drives us. This little guy David, man, he's peeved off. He is so upset that no one would confront this guy the people hear about him and the king invites him in and offers him the armor, his armor. He puts it on, like seven-foot guy. Well, this uniform's a little big for him. He said, I don't need it. I do not need it. He decides to do something. And this is what happens when we have holy discontent. You cannot just stand back and watch. You need to also do something about it. Verse 31, let's have a, have a look at what the scripture tells us. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them back to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go, and he, I will fight the Philistine. David doesn't react with fear. This man burns with righteous indignation, holy anger, holy discontent. It was so wrong to insult God and someone had to do something about it. And even if he's only a small boy, teenage boy, who was a farmer, if the men wouldn't do it, he would do it. This brings us to the third and the most important step in holy discontent. He put his confidence in God. Friends, I want to reinforce that. When we move confidently to do something, we need to know where that confidence comes from. It doesn't come from being 10 feet tall, it doesn't come from being 180 kilos and the greatest warrior on earth. He puts his confidence in God for victory. In verse 33, and Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, you're only a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took out a lamb of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and did- delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, nice fella. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David is now ready to face the giant in his life. But more than that, friends, David is ready to go and face the giant that is part of every man's life, who'd been standing up there and had been abused by this Israeli, sorry, about this Philistonian giant for the last four people, had been battered psychologically. And it was time for him to step up. Man, I love David. I know he made some terrible blunders, but boy, he was courageous. David would risk his life because God needed him. God needed him to step up because no one else would. The holy discontent and transformation in David's life was now complete. Friends, he was right. Insulting God was wrong, and this guy had to be put down. Righteousness gives you power. He was set. Action was needed and made the decision to act. So many whine or criticise, but few stand up and take action. He was confident. David knew that his victory would come from God, not from himself or his own strengths. So he went into battle with the right kind of confidence part of our story the victory this is where the holy discontentment stands up to the line and we get to see God glorified let's have a look together in 1st Samuel 17 verse 38 so Saul clothed David with his army put on bronze helmet on his head clothed him with a coat David fastened his sword to his armor he tried to walk for he had not tested them and David said to Saul oh, I cannot walk with these for I've not tested them so David took them off He took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five small stones from the brook. He put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. At first, King Saul gives David his armor, sword, and helmet. But his equipment provides to be too bulky for David. He chooses to fight with his own weapon which was in his shepherd's sling. The slingshot was a primitive weapon that a shepherd would use to keep animals away from the sheep. But the sling was also accurate and deadly to within 100 feet. This is how David had killed animals that had attacked his sheep. In verse 41, So the Philistines came and they began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about he saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? Do you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David and Goliath confront each other. They were like two prize fighters trying to psych each other out. Goliath is angry. The Israelites have sent a mere boy with no weapons to fight him. He curses David, threatens to kill him, and give his body to the animals to eat. In verse 45, And David said to the Philistine, listen to this, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. (laughs) It's a little bit gross. And this day I'll give the carcass of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You read through it, and it's like you would expect this sort of, you know, sort of like sports people do this quite often. They say nasty things to each other. And here we expect Goliath to do that. But this little boy, this teenage boy, he's filled with some sort of courage. Some sort of courage that just doesn't come from being a boy. This is a sort of courage that comes when God is in your heart. And when you see something that is completely and utterly wrong, you step up, you stand up. You go boldly with confidence, and you act upon it. And oh, David did. He swung that little sling, and he shot that thing like an expert, and it struck him right there. And as he fell to the ground, David ran, and he grabbed that huge, big sword, and he took the man's head off. Did David just stay and say, oh, I've won the victory? There's no chance. David still, had, <laughs> David still had former little rocks that he needed to use. And he led the army of Israel in a battle. Literary historians tell us that this story is the basis for every story where the little guy takes on the big guy and wins. This is where the idea comes from. But this story is special because it teaches us that what it takes to win spiritually, emotionally, social battles, Not just sporting events or wars. In David's case, he defeats the giant because... And I want to wrap up with these three points. He defeats them because, A, he was a child of God. And as a child of God, there are things you need to stand up for. And if you do, like David with Goliath, you can have the victory. Secondly, you need to find and discover what that holy discontentment is. You need to figure out what drives you. The word zealous means jealous. It means that the things of God are important to you. David respected the person of God. It is this same quality that moved Noah to build an ark over 140 years. It is the same quality drive that John the Baptist had when he came and prepared the way for Jesus Christ. It is the exact same thing that Jesus demonstrated when he went to the cross to die for you and for me. It is zeal. This is the quality that separates those who are just fooling around for Christ and for those who are becoming fools for Christ. David was a fool for God. Because only a fool, a zealous fool, would go and fight a giant with a slingshot. And the last thing is he had confidence in God. And friends, the only way we can have confidence in God is to be in a relationship with God. That happened three plus thousand years ago. Who is your Goliath? Each person... You have your own personal Goliath that you're facing each day worry, bad habits, family problems, financial issues, fear of death, habits, bad habits. You see, every day our own personal Goliath wakes up and it comes to challenge us. Do you want to be a giant killer? God wants you to dare to be a David. Find that holy discontent. It will drive you to do the things that will honour God. This is my prayer for each one of us. I love the story of David. I love what he can teach us.